Hey there, and welcome to another weekly edition of Inside Intercom. This week, we're going to be looking at marketing, but not just in the role of making people aware of your product and the job it solves, but in actually converting those people into customers. In short, we're talking about growth marketing, and joining me to do just that is Sujin Patel. Sujin's the co-founder of WebProfits, an agency helping companies leverage the latest and greatest in marketing to fuel their business. His team takes a really interesting approach there. They lead clients through marketing sprints and a practice called fluid marketing, something Sujin breaks down pretty simply for us. In general, though, he's got more than 13 years of internet marketing experience and has driven strategy for companies like Salesforce, Mint, Intuit, Expedia, LinkedIn, I could go on. In this chat, though, Sujin lays the groundwork for what growth marketing is really all about. So I think marketing has long had this like, hey, we're going to drive traffic, you know, we're going to bring in leads, we're going to get email opt-ins, but it's really not my problem to convert them. So growth marketing is really making sure the marketing team owns up to it. Why a customer-driven mindset is one of the most powerful levers a marketer can pull. My most successful strategies, like the things that have driven the most growth out of any idea or any anything I've come up with have come from customer support or customer success. And why it's best to master your tactics one at a time. It's never been in the case in the history of mankind that you can, somebody, a startup with limited resources can achieve success at three different things at the same time. So find one that you want to enter in and then kind of as you get that one humming along, go after the next one. If you like what you hear and want to check out more of our interviews, which cover product, design, marketing, engineering, and more, you can subscribe to our show over at iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And wherever you get the show, be sure to search for and check out our new audiobook series, Intercom on Product Management. But now, let's get into this week's conversation and talk growth marketing with Sujin Patel. You're listening to Inside Intercom. Intercom, making internet business personal at scale. Learn more at intercom.com. Sujin, welcome to the show. I know you're notorious for your productivity. When you're not working, you're probably skydiving or driving. You got all sorts of things going on there. So thanks for taking the time today. Yeah, my pleasure. This is uh, talking about marketing is one of my favorite things. I can talk about it all day long. All right. Well, we'll get rolling then. Uh, but just before we hop into marketing directly, can you give us the cliff notes of your career to date? I mean, how did you get into growing companies? How did that become your thing? Yeah, so I've been I've been doing digital marketing for the last fourteen years or so. I started off in like high school, college, building an e-commerce website, and uh, you know when I built it, no one came to the website, so I was like, "Crap, I need to figure out a way to get traffic to it." And you're uh, saying if you build it, they won't come? <laughs> seriously, especially not now in the in a very saturated market, you know, of 2017. Uh, but yeah, so I, you know, started an e-commerce site, stumbled on SEO, search engine optimization, uh, absolutely crushed it on getting traffic. Horrible at business as an 18-year-old. Many 18-year-olds are not that good at business like myself. And I found my passion for SEO and, and I kind of evolved into from SEO to T-shaped marketer to falling in love with SaaS. And so this is my second agency, Web Profits, and um, I love helping others do marketing. I love helping them as a, as a kind of outsider because it helps them think about stuff they don't really think about on a day-to-day basis. And we have this kind of unique approach called fluid, which is really like a helping people look at all parts of the funnel. And and I found that in my you know many years of, of doing marketing and many years of doing marketing for SaaS, that uh, a lot of growth comes from 
some you know not so obvious areas like customer support or really leveraging your existing customers or kind of solving problems and, and creating content around it. So so that's kind of a little bit about me. I run uh, two companies, Ramp Ventures, which owns and operates about seven SaaS companies, and Web Profits, a uh, growth agency. Awesome, awesome. And so you mentioned fluid marketing there, which I think is really interesting. How going a little bit deeper on that? How does that differ from conventional approach that you see? a lot of either agencies or internal teams at SaaS companies taking? And why, why do you feel like it's more effective? Yeah, so uh, so backing up, like Fluid, the way we look at Fluid is pretty much a dynamic way of investing into into marketing channels, into your growth and building out a team. So, you know, let's say you have a marketing team. Well, you know, let's say you need to do conversion optimization. You need somebody to manage your advertising. You need somebody to to do your social media you need somebody to go and create new landing pages you know, ultimately those types of resources may not be busy all the time you might not need to invest the exact same amount of resources across the board so if you were to hire kind of somebody to do all your landing pages well they need to be re- you need to make a lot of landing pages you need to make it worth like kind of full-time hire or you know even if uh, if you hire an agency or a contractor like I think what happens a lot of times is you set the groundwork and you kind of solve one problem and you kind of get that, let's say you figure out one channel to grow, you get that channel to be on, not necessarily autopilot, but it's humming along, it's working, you continue to scale and you know to figure out, to make a channel work is the hardest amount. So like the first three months, six months into a channel are the most difficult. After that, it's really about scaling the channel, a lot less time, a lot Lots different resources involved. So the way kind of fluid work is, you, you know, typically it's this kind of you 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 pay a flat fee, or let's just say you hire kind of like you hire us, and essentially we'll go build a team based off the channels that you need. And then as we knock out, let's say we've we've made a big dent in conversion rate, and your conversion rate, we'll go move on to a new channel. We'll just keep moving resources while the retainer, what you pay, and kind of your investment into marketing doesn't really change. So we're just kind of block and tackling. And and so, uh, you know, it's, it's, I don't think it's very unique to when people build out an in-house team, but I think it's fairly unique to agency work. And we're much like a consultancy and kind of building out like a, a rockstar team that's an outsourced marketing team for you or for a company. Um, and I think, you know, I'll be honest, it's not a very profitable way to build a company from our end. But it is, I think, the most effective way for an agency to help or an outsider to help a marketing team internally or a a company actually get results. Awesome. So it sounds like it's a lot of early experimentation on a certain tactic. And then once you get that humming, just moving as quickly as you can to the next thing where you can begin experimenting and finding that sweet spot. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we would do, you know, we run kind of sprints as well. Um, and those sprints are really prioritized based off of what will move the needle. Like, so what what's the budget, and what will move the needle in that time frame? Because as you kind of go forward in a in a channel, sometimes it's like, okay, why do we? If we're getting advertising and it's humming along, we've got a budget. Why would we mess around with like a new channel that might not yield the same result? So it's kind of making sure you kind of prioritize those those right activities. I'm really interested in those sprints because we hear all the time about design sprints, which take place over maybe a week or so. But these are more robust, 90-day, almost like marathon-style sprints. Can you break those down for me? What's the structure like? What are your your goals going in? Yeah. So here's how the sprints started. So 
you know, everybody on the marketing team, the client side, the in-house team, everybody has ideas and everyone continue. Like as we worked on clients, people were like, oh, what about this? What if we do this? What if we do this? And then sometimes, or most of the times it's like, no, well, we already started on this. We quoted this. This is kind of like all these limitations that if you think about it, were very, very arbitrary because we're already past a decision point. I don't think there's a, ever should be, especially in early stage startups or any type of company growing rapidly or wants to grow rap- rapidly, you shouldn't put any li- limitations on decision making. So right. it, this turned into a Google a spreadsheet that was just like ideas and what the output potential impact and output of those ideas would be and how much or who would have to be involved or what's needed to be done in order for us to kind of hit that projection. So it started off with everybody making a wish list. And that way we had a list, a laundry list of things that we could potentially do when we were done, when we're cleared out like our workload or like when we're ready to make that next decision. So everyone's ideas got heard. Well, what it turned out to be was that it was too rigid of a process to kind of make a decision, complete it, and then go on to the next thing. Because let's say you're making a decision, I'm going to go invest into content marketing. Well, it might be six to nine to 12 months before you're ready to move on to something else. So Mm -hmm. um, we designed kind of more short-term kind of time frame, like 90 days. And 90 days, is is it it didn't come out of nowhere. It came out of the fact that like realistically – that gives us really three testing cycles, three months essentially to kind of do three big things or three kind of different projects uh, with each month kind of being the the kind of anchor for each test. So for example, if you want to do an A-B test or if you want to launch advertising, you might need kind of one or two months to really see and get that data. Um, so 90 days really gives us three or four shots of what to go after. So we look at this spreadsheet of, all the possible things we could do, what's going to have the highest projections or impact, potential impact. And then we would decide which ones to invest in based off of that, as well as like, you know, some things are going to take design and development resources. So those items might be prime candidates for like the next 90 day sprint. And so that that kind of means like this sprint, go build them Mm -hmm. or go build those things out. Great, great. Yeah. It sounds like something that would work not just for a team that's new to this type of marketing, but also someone that has built out their team, but wants to really take stake of of where things are and evaluate their progress. Absolutely. Absolutely. I actually came up with this idea from before I was doing web profits. I was the VP of marketing at a company called when I work.com SaaS uh, B2B SaaS company. And you know, it was pretty much that is every day, every week, I talk to new customers, talk to like different team members and, and other people not even in the marketing team and everybody had an idea. And I'm like, this is a great idea. This is a great idea. And, and you know, when you look at, when you list out all the great ideas, naturally they, if you list out the potential impact of them, naturally the, the things that move the needle rise to the top. So I want to step back a little bit because we talked about content. We talked about advertising, email marketing, all these different tactics or things that you can amplify. But to you, what does growth marketing mean specifically? Because I know talking to people that work in this space, it seems like there's a little bit of frustration around misconceptions or misunderstanding about where you can make the biggest impact in a business with growth marketing. Yeah, definitely. I think on uh, anything growth hacking, growth marketing related, there's a lot of buzz around it. And I think a lot of people misuse it. But to me, the word growth and putting it in front of marketing means you have measurable results you're moving more than just the top of the funnel. So I think marketing has long had this like, hey, we're going to drive traffic. You know, we're going to bring in leads. We're going to do, we're going to get email opt-ins. 
but it's really not my problem to convert them. So growth marketing is really making sure the marketing team owns up to it and taking off the shackles of like, you can only do this. You know, growth, first and foremost, it's really about the full funnel, looking at traffic, you know, even before that, like the exposure and awareness, like think about your brand. That is still more like brand marketing, but it, it's a part of growth. Looking at the kind of consideration, the funnel, talking and working with the sales, as well as like customer success or customer support teams to know like what happens after a customer signs up. And and so really it's it's kind of looking at things in three dimensions, as opposed to, I think marketing as many times has been very two dimensional. Like you have traffic, you have visitors, you need to convert them. Well, in this case, it would be looking at the quality of those leads and getting feedback from sales and then optimizing your approach based off of what that qualitative feedback that you had. It's really interesting that twice now you've mentioned customer support and how it's tangentially related to all this. So many people think of support as a cost center, but in my 14 years of marketing, my most successful strategies, like the things that have driven the most growth out of any idea or any anything I've come up with have come from customer support or customer success. More importantly, it's come from the customer and leveraging the customer to grow. So for example, a very tangible example here, when I worked at Com, we sent thank you cards, handwritten thank you cards to our customers. And at the very bottom of these thank you cards, we tested, A-B tested all these different call to actions. And, you know, like this is like, this is our customers here we're talking about. We implemented, you know, the net NPS score and, and surveys and everyone that like was a nine and 10, everyone who was a promoter, we engaged those customers and asked them for favors. Like we said, hey, can you uh, leave a testimonial? Can we interview you? What features do you want? Like, so like pretty much like in engaging the customers and we did that through our support and success team was, was really the most beneficial because it brought in this like word of mouth and honestly it also made our other channels it made our facebook ads work better because all of a sudden we had customers or people who you had a good experience with the company jump in and leave a comment and mean i don't know about you but like i rarely see that on ads oh yeah almost never (laughs) exactly so like those types of things kind of happen when we started to think about like our customers as a, as a, okay, in my mind as a marketer, as a marketing apparatus, but really it was more of a how, when we became customer driven, um, that's when this kind of magic started to happen. I, I love that because what you're really doing is you're taking what customers already love about your product and just finding a way to amplify that. So um, how do you, as a marketer, what's some good ways you can recommend to get closer to your customers like that? First and foremost, it's just building a habit of connecting with them every month. Uh, it doesn't have to be a monthly like call. Just send a survey to like all of your customers every month. Like send them a different question, right? Like what I typically do is I'll take on a monthly basis. I have it. I think it's like the last Friday of every month, and it's like the first thing I do that morning, and it's just me emailing one question that I have to you know my most active customers. I'll go into, I actually go into intercom and look at the people who have logged in the most that month and, or have, you know, had, had the most certain actions, whatever, you know, depending on the company I'm working on. And, um, you know, I'll email them like, Hey, what's one thing you wish we did? Or like, Hey, what's your favorite thing about what's, what's your favorite thing about this? Or like, Hey, what's one thing I can help you with? And all, I always get like random responses. And I, at the end I was like, PS, this is really me. 
Um, this is my this is my Friday morning routine, and and it, and it gets me like it gets people. You know, first of all, they know it's me uh, as a founder or like you know a real person, and then showing that like I'm actually doing this regularly, they get excited about it. They're like a lot of times my response, the responses I get are like nothing. Like we don't need anything. We just like it's so cool to see somebody actually talk to us. Right. I think there's this assumption that your response is just going into a black hole of slush mail and nothing will ever come out of it. So why would I take the time? But lifting that curtain, being transparent about like, hey, this is is the founder of the company and we really care can actually drive action. Yeah. And also kind of sifting through the noise of email marketing, right? I think a lot of times, you know, especially now with the multiple means of communication, right? You can do in-app messaging, you can go email them, you can text them. There's so many different things you can do with a customer somebody's like, I think customers are getting kind of savvy, like, ah, is this actually a real message? Or is this kind of a canned response? And so I think this can help you kind of cut through the noise. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode one is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt or die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service, and it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right? And see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. So a lot of our listeners are early stage startups. You and I, I think both are in agreement that a lot of startups don't bring in marketing in general early enough. We talked about the whole build it and it will come thing at the beginning of the show. But looking at, at growth markets specifically, I mean, when are they ready to move beyond that sort of word of mouth buzz if they're fortunate enough to have gotten it and crank up that dial and begin experimenting with those tactics? I think it's right when you're ready and you have like, once you've figured out your product market fit, it's immediately time to figure out, you know, I think uh, Andrew Chan and Brian before call it channel market fit. It's immediately time to figure out your marketing channels or it's more so trying to find that one or two marketing channels that you can use to go from wherever you're at to that next level. And and I think over that, that whole process of like first investing into kind of growth or marketing, um, it's really not about like, can I get social ads to work? Can I get, you know, um, can I get AdWords to work? Can I do SEO? Can I do content marketing? It's like you kind of have to invest in one or two. And if you look at the biggest companies out there, you know, look at Apple, look at Microsoft, each company is usually has one main channel and like two or three ancillary channels or like kind of secondary channels. And so, you know, why I say this is that like 
the, if the largest companies in the world have only three or four channels of marketing, you really only need to figure out three or four. And it's never been in the case in the history of mankind that you can, somebody, a startup with limited resources can achieve success at three different things at the same time. So find one that you want to enter in. And then kind of as you get that one humming along, go after the next one and kind of go after the next one. And I like to like not overthink it. You know, let's say you're you're trying to raise money. Well, probably not good to go invest into content marketing and SEO as a primary channel to move the needle because they take too long, right? You might need to go and spend it on ads or outbound sales. And so from the perspective of a growth marketer, then if they come into a job at a startup and let's say there's there's a good long stream of content, they've been doing a great job at content marketing for a while, but they're still working out the product kinks. Can they do their job well while the product team works this stuff out? Or does there need to be a great product in place right away for this to work? I think it's a, it's a, the product is always a moving target, right? I don't think it's ever going to be perfect. There is a such thing as investing in marketing too early. In fact, um, I unfortunately, at my first kind of SaaS endeavor, uh, contentmarketer.io, which has kind of pivoted over to now what's called Mailshake, we made that exact mistake. So yes, you can definitely invest too early. And I'd highly recommend not doing that. So if you don't have a product that can fit that channel, then I would recommend not leveraging that. So for example, at Mailshake or contentmarketer.io, we had a product that was kind of okay. And we were still validating kind of product market fit. And I still I went to I went to town naturally as a marketer. I was like, I'm gonna go to town on marketing. And so I built an audience, I built an email list, we started blogging, we got lots and lots of traffic. People even converted into customers, but like the feedback we got from the first month was like, I don't think this product is right for me. It doesn't fit. Like there's like we wasted that whole channel and drove too many people. We got too many people talking about us, which sounds like a a kind of a good problem to have, but it's a really bad one because their first impression of us was a product that doesn't work for them or like, you know, a bad product. So I would highly recommend in the early days if you're figuring out your product and it's still not kind of fully ironed out, lay the groundwork on some of this stuff, right? Like go lay the groundwork of like content that you know is going to be potentially optimized or something that can rank, but go to town on like channels like outbound, a cold email or, you know, advertising where you can turn them on and off and make sure when you turn them on, you get feedback, you get the data, and then you turn it, you know, when you turn it off that before you turn it back on, you're ready to go. That makes total sense. And so getting a little bit deeper on that, when your team at Web Profits goes in and work with a new startup, how do you identify that first channel to amplify? What, what's the framework that you use? Yeah. So, you know, I look at there's really only, you know, four or five channels I look at. I look at one is is advertising, right? Can we get social advertising or are, is there enough demand of people looking for the solution, aka AdWords or being, you know, what have you, any type of uh, search-based advertising. Is that a channel we can tap? Generally, most businesses have this. And that then is like, what's the budget to kind of work with? Content marketing and SEO. I kind of lump them into one nowadays because doing content marketing is the way you can actually achieve great SEO results. Obviously, you need the technical stuff and whatnot. I would call like outbound sales or cold email, uh, you know, sales prospecting is another channel. Are there any other, like, what's the assets or strengths of a business? Like, I look at, first and foremost, what channels are they currently leveraging? And 
if they're leveraging one or two, what are the things we can scale? And also, you know, what's the budget, right? So, and, and the goal. So, you know, with most startups, it's like sh- the goals are very short term. And when I say short term, I mean, like, if your goal is like to grow by X in this year, that's still short term. Because, right. you know, you're looking, I, I look at things as like three to five year kind of goals. But um, startups kind of will not even be around in three to five years if they don't hit the first year's goal. So then it's, you know, what kind of budget do you have to work with? And then I look at, it's like really comes down to simple math. What's the best way to use this budget? And if the budget is, let's just say, anything under 100K, it it typically means you can't really lead with advertising because it doesn't get you that far, right? If you just look at like CPCs somewhere being in the $1 to $5 range, it doesn't buy, $100,000 doesn't buy you that much traffic. Yeah. So then selfishly, I got to ask you as someone on the on the content side, what's something that either I could be doing with my growth marketing team or my growth marketing team could be doing in terms of how they work with me for us to better coordinate or become better partners? Yeah, I think think about what your customers problems are in their career, in their day to day and start solving those. I think that's an area where a lot of people find a kind of find gaps. So like, here's an example, you know, web profits, we build an, you know, we targeting, we're selling to VP of marketing CMOs, but as a byproduct, we attract all types of marketers. And so, you know, yes, people want to hire us an agency. Great. But we talk about topics that are ancillary to marketing. So we, we created like an ebook and content on customer advocacy, customer delight, I think like different channels of marketing, but also like how to hire a marketer, how to interview questions for a marketer, like you know, how to set like these marketing budgets and like worksheets and spreadsheets on how to do these types of things. So like, these are nothing that are going to really help us get leads. All it is, is going to help our audience, the people we want to be screaming about us from the top of the rooftops, do their jobs better. So like those types of things I think are very, very important. And it's really just kind of doing a lot of customer interviews or like really, really honing and doubling down on the level of research and, and information you have about your customer personas. Awesome. So it all comes back to getting closer with customers then. Or your audience, right? If you don't have customers yet, it's your audience, like your hypothetical customer, the 50 people on your email list. It doesn't matter. And so you mentioned books there. It's been a few years now since I think what is probably your most well-known book, 100 Days of Growth, was first published. If you were to write that book again today, what new information would you include or what types of thinking has have evolved or even been reinforced on your end? You know, the 100 Days of Growth wrote it because I saw a gap in information um, at the time. This is 2000, I wrote it in 2000, late 14 and it published in early 2015. And uh, I, I wrote it based off the gap of like people were talking really high level of like strategy. Like I think Ryan Holiday had a book on like growth hacker marketing um, a few others had this like kind of bigger like growth hacking type thing. And and I was like, you know what? There's no like tactical way to do this. So the book was intentionally very, very tactical because that's what was missing in the book space at the time. If I were to do it again, I would include a bit more strategy into it. I would also include more information around like marketing and understanding the, the differences in marketing for different business models. So like having sold now around like 45,000 copies, you know, I've gotten questions all the time from like different types of businesses. And so like, if I, now that I know there's like, you know, people who have e-commerce businesses, SaaS businesses, service businesses doing this, I would have probably kind of highlighted a lot of this stuff, like pretty much adding a few chapters in the beginning of the book. So that if like, let's say leading into the book, like if it's an e-commerce business, 
I would say, you know, go check out tips one, two, 17, 35, right? Like doesn't matter a bunch of tips that I think would be applicable to that business and also make sure they know what's not applicable. Cause I think it's, it's really hard to know being new, but yeah, I think that's, that's kind of how I would, how I would have made a difference. Nice. Well, it sounds like there's plenty of material there for a second edition. Should you choose to pursue it? Yeah, actually, uh, just shameless plug here. We have a second, edi- kind of a second edition. Um, it's called the growth manifesto. Um, and it's really that. Um, and so we talk about the whole funnel, different business models and, and, and really like solve that. I haven't really pushed it as hard because frankly, I've been very lazy. <laughs> I probably shouldn't be lazy, but, uh, Uh, We'll probably push it a lot harder going into 2018. Well, I think you're the last person that should call yourself lazy because I know until recently you were uh, regularly working, I think, 80 hours a week before uh, finally scaling back. Whether you're a marketer, product manager, designer, founder, all of us struggle with prioritization and balancing that with productivity. So how do you prioritize what you work on these days? Yeah, so... um... I, pro- I only try to do three things in a day. So I use this app called Things. And every day it's, I have all these like things on my to-do list and, you know, running multiple companies and managing kind of different teams. I have to put different hats on and always, you know, going between things. You never have enough time in your day. But uh, my, my kind of my like secret to my own, like I feeling good at the end of the day being a productive. I feel like that's what I need to like hold myself accountable to. So I have a list of three things I want to get done that that day. And I always leave home after I finish the first thing on that list. So I'm one third of the way done. And typically, because I leave home like after I'm productive, I'm generally leaving like weird times of the day. So I get in the office maybe at 10 or 11 sometimes. Sometimes I wake up early and I get in like at 8, but I've already knocked out you know, the big thing I want to get done that day. So whether it be productivity, marketing, growth, where can listeners go to get more of your insights, find more of your writing, or just generally what Web Profits is all about? Yeah, so best place to find us would be our, our websites, our blogs, my, my personal website, sujinpatel.com, and the Web Profits site, webprofits.agency. And, you know, you know, we're very, very transparent. My life is generally an open book and it's just got to write, you got to ask the right questions. Awesome. Well, hopefully we haven't kept you in the way of your three things for the day. Thanks so much for joining us, Sujin. Yeah, thank you. It's been a blast. You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes, visit soundcloud.com slash intercom. If you'd like to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.com.